Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. everyone. Welcome to Group Text. You know, sometimes you find out about people through mutual friends who are very, very interesting and you want to take a chance to talk to them. Today, Sabrina and I are speaking with Duff McDonald. I don't know how to even introduce you. You have a new podcast called How to Tickle Yourself, but you were also sort of... um, you're sort of known for being, I don't know what to say, but a guerrilla journalist in a way. But more important to me, hello, fellow Penn alum. Hello. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Thanks, Melissa and Sabrina. Happy to be here. So, Yay. yeah, hurrah for the red and the blue. Perhaps we'll have to sing a drinking song at the end of this. Please don't. Please don't, Mel. <laughs> Please don't. Drink a highball at nightfall. Come on, Duff, join in. Oh, my um, <laughs> goodness. You are showing me a side of you, Miss Melissa. Now you know what goes on whenever we're together. We Our, our pen group gets together. Um, so I'm guessing because you were a business major, you were actually undergrad Wharton. I was undergrad Wharton. I got to, uh, I'm, I'm from Toronto. And uh, told my guidance counselor, I said, I want to go. He said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a businessman. And looking back, I don't even know what I meant. I I had some image of myself holding a soft leather briefcase. And and wearing Brooks Brothers. And yeah, that would be success. Or or wearing nothing at all. Well, (laughs) we're getting closer to that. So uh, he said, uh, there's only one uh, business school in the U.S. that has a sort of undergrad, uh, a notable undergrad presence. And I dropped into Wharton, not really knowing about Wall Street. It was in 88 and um, ended up working on Wall Street for two years. I just mentioned this at Goldman, but then was like, what am I doing? I got to get out of here and ended up becoming a journalist and ultimately a, a, a book writer. But uh, my, my entree into the U.S. was indeed through Wharton and Penn. Well, because, and you were also at Wharton at a time where, and I was at Penn at the same time, the trajectory was you went to Wharton, you went to Wall Street. It was just, it was, you know, it was, it was the train, it was the Excel. It wasn't, there was no stops. What made you realize that, wow, this is not for me? You know, I hate to be cliche, but uh, in college, I discovered Jack Kerouac, I discovered the dead. I discovered uh, Borges and Calvino, you know, um, some of the great fiction writers of our century and sort of realized why do I want to get all tangled up in uh, a bunch of numbers when there's a whole lot of more fun stuff to think about. Uh, fast forward to last year and I realized that I was still tangled in those numbers, even though I thought I wasn't. Well, because I want to talk about your books yeah. as well. So you, and we'll get to the podcast. Sure. Because the books you wrote, which I find really interesting. And a little, were, and a little, and a little controversial, wouldn't you uh, say? I was going to say, you took on some big topics and 
they were kind of controversial what you said. I mean, you it seemed that you really became a truth teller. You know, it's interesting. I never try, I, I never had a self-image of I'm going to speak truth to power or anything like that. But ultimately, uh, I came to uh, the last two books in particular, uh, The Firm about McKinsey and The Golden Passport about Harvard Business School uh, was me sort of saying out loud to whoever my theoretical listener is, is we can't, this cannot be our value system. We cannot be uh, we cannot put efficiency above all else, right? Like beauty or truth or love. And I was just sort of through in the last couple of years of my career, I was writing in sort of an angrier and angrier state. Well, you right? were not kind to Jamie Dimon, which was your first big book. I was actually, I was pretty kind to Jamie. Ja- uh, I was criticized actually for that book for being too kind to Jamie. Really? Yeah. That came out during the financial crisis. And right. The New York Times book review basically said, how dare you write a book that says anything nice about a banker uh, <laughs> at this point? Uh, I think Jamie's actually not a bad person. Jamie, he's, he's just the best at what he does. My angrier books were about McKinsey and Harvard, where I was basically saying, "You are uh, these are cults. These are cults of numbers, cults of efficiency, cults of rationality, and it's taking our eye off the ball of things that actually matter. But wait, okay, so I'm listening to you. So what really was the catalyst that made you take on these well-established and powerful people and institutions? What what was it? Well, he also no. could have gone to Wharton. Everyone at Wharton Business School loved the fact that I'm sure you took aim at oh, Harvard. Yeah, they, don't, they don't invite me to the round tables. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny you ask that, Sabrina. When I got into journalism, the only thing that people were really interested in letting me write about was business. Right. They they I wasn't a sports writer. I wasn't a music writer. I wasn't a a narrative writer. They're like, you write about this thing that, you know, so you can write about this stuff. And uh, even though I thought I had left Wall Street because I didn't want to be there. uh, Next thing I know, I'm writing about Wall Street. So I was kind of tangled up in my own past. And I, you know, looking back at it, there's all sorts of, you know, there's no single cause of anything. Right. But if you look at what are the, how did I end up writing in such a froth about uh, uh, MBAs and the culture of Wall Street? Uh, one obvious reason is that I couldn't disentangle from it. And I didn't like the subject, but it was the only thing I was writing about or felt like people would let me write about. And so here I am sort of trapped in a thing of my own making and I was angry and it was coming out in the writing. Wow. Right. I still I still believe the stuff I do are said about sort of criticizing a quantified worldview. But uh, I think the anger was uh, looking in retrospect aimed at myself as much as my targets. It's like, how am I writing about these things that I don't want to be talking about? Wow, that's, hindsight- that's kind of insightful. Actually. Right, well, I was say, and in hindsight, with everything going on now, there was that uh, that Atlantic cover recently about all the private schools, you were really ahead of the curve in discussing what goes on, not just in in graduate schools, but undergrads and now high schools. Well, there's another, there's a great book that came out while I was working on the Golden Passport called Excellent Sheep. It's by a guy named William Dariswitz. He's a cultural critic. And he's like, what are we creating here with all our Ivy League institutions? 
We're creating people who can follow orders, fill out forms, answer exams, but they're ill-equipped to answer or address the big questions of what makes a life, right? What gives meaning to my life? What matters to me? So we're creating automatons. And I looked at the MBAs and I looked at the, the McKinsey consultants and I was like, wow, you people all have uh, powerful intellects. Uh, you know, I saw it at Wharton too, but what are you doing with it? Why are you doing this with it? Uh, and uh, tried to point out that uh, maybe we should be trying to encourage our our best minds and brightest minds to be doing something other than maximizing the earning potential over their lives. You and Frank Bruni, actually. Right, exactly. Um, you, but honestly, you have now changed course technically for a complete, a second time in your life. One, uh, t- a total 180. A t- uh, completely. I mean, you started in Wharton, went to Goldman, and then you took another turn and went into journalism and becoming an author. And now you've taken a hard left. Right. But do you, do you see yourself evolving in this process? Yes. There was a, there was a moment last year. I'll give, I'll give you the quick summary story. I had sold a book to HarperCollins in December 2019 called The Precision Paradox. And the thesis of it was, we're looking for meaning where it does not exist in numbers, right? We keep, we keep getting more and more precise about all sorts of things as if precision was the goal, right? And I'm getting ready to write that early last year, quarantine hits and then COVID hits and we get treated with this tsunami of COVID data, right? And it's still right. happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm turning my wife, I'm like, this is it. This is the precision paradox. It's playing out in front of our eyes. What we're doing with all the numbers of COVID. And again, for people who've lost people or who were sick, right? That's real. I'm talking about someone in, in my, who had the good fortune of being in my pers- situation or anyone else's where it hasn't touched you personally, right? Or hasn't gotten too close to you, right? What we're doing is counting COVID. We were counting death. And I was like, why are we doing this? Why aren't we asking why COVID's happening? Why are we tracking this thing? And I got, I freaked out. I was like, I need to start writing this book immediately. I sat down, I wrote the intro, and then suddenly my mind exploded. And I was like, oh my God, I've been talking to myself. I am angry at myself. I have been spent my entire career writing about numbers and and precise things. Right. And I was about to do it again. And uh, the I'll tell you what's really, uh, it's the most heartwarming thing about my last year. The catalyst for this awakening was my daughter who is 12. Uh, she lives with her mother. She was begging me to read Harry Potter with her during early COVID. And I said, look, I'd love to, but I can't. I just signed a book to, or a contract to write this new book. I have all sorts of stuff to read for work. And then she's harassing us uh, while we're FaceTiming her, uh, just reading Harry Potter memes to us. And I said one night to her, I was like, you know what? I haven't read Harry Potter. These aren't interesting to me. Stop. And we hung up and my wife says, can I, can I ask you a question? She goes, you sure you're doing this right? First, you don't want to go on a little adventure with your daughter. Second of all, you're telling her to stop talking to you about something that's tickling her. And I said, oh my God, you're right. So the next day I said, I'll read Harry Potter with you. 
And at that moment, my entire heart, mind, everything blew open. And I realized I had been spending my entire career talking about things that I think we shouldn't be doing, right? Here's right. what the MBAs are doing wrong. Here's what the consultants are doing wrong. As judged by Duff McDonald sitting on his throne, looking down at the rest of you, right? And I was about to do it again with the precision paradox saying, you people don't get it. You don't understand that there's no meaning in numbers. But then I suddenly realized it's like, wow, so why am I about to write a book about numbers? Right. Why am I doing this? And I realized, ah, it's all me. It's always me. Everything is you. And I, I said, oh, I, here's what I need to do. I need to write a book about what is tickling me right now. What is making me happy right now? And it came out of me in a flood. I wrote a 300-page book in six weeks. Wow. And it was because I was writing about something that was happening to me at that moment that gave me joy. And it turns out that's the way to do it. Don't write about stuff that pisses you off because you don't even want to be thinking about it. So your brain is basically fighting with you the whole time saying, what are you doing? Why are you writing about this stuff? And when I finally had this epiphany where I was like, oh, I'm going to write about the things that are great right now. I couldn't stop it. And uh, six weeks later, finished a book and was like, I sent it into Harper Collins. I was like, you wanted the precision paradox. I got a book called How to Tickle Yourself. <laughs> and I was going to ask, did you have to give back the advance? So at first they were, <laughs> at first they were like, uh, my editor said, this book's great. And then she said, actually, it's a little overwhelming. And it's not the book that you said you were going to give us. She didn't ask me for the advance back, but I spent the summer sort of wondering what to do because she said she didn't want it. And I ended up editing it a little bit. I got a hold of an old friend of mine, Hugo Lindgren, and said, what do I do with this? He said, the problem is you just jump right in. Put a chapter in that takes us on the journey. Basically what I just told you guys. Right. And, and bring them into it. So you're not sort of dropping them in the middle of Duff's like exploded heart. And that did the trick. And so now we're publishing it this fall. It's not the same as the podcast title, How to Tuck Yourself. They got a little nervous about it. So it's called Tickled, A Common Sense Guide to the Present Moment. And it's all about present. Oh, I, I, I love that. And I love that your daughter was the gateway. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? It's like oh. an act of love with your own child. Right. Your heart up. Yeah. Right. So explain what tickling yourself means. So basically when quarantine hit, you know, I'm a freelancer, so it didn't totally change. It didn't turn my life upside down. Right. I work from home anyway. But what it did do was it took away all of the distractions of the calendar. Right. You know, in right. the West, we live life on a linear calendar. Right. We, we're looking to the past. We're looking to the future. So we're splitting our focus from in addition to what you're doing right now, you have some side conversation in your mind that is keeping track of the future. And when quarantine took all that away, I started real, getting a little immersed in things. And I, the first thing that hit me is I'm saying to my wife, uh, I read a bunch of books in a row and I was like, this is the best book I've ever read. 
And then a few weeks later, I was like, this is the best book I've ever read. And then I did it again. And I was like, wait, are my standards dropping? What I can't, these can't all be the best book I've ever read. Right. And same thing happened with meals. Suddenly I'm like, oh my God, this is the best steak we've ever cooked or the best smoothie you've ever made. And I, and it, I suddenly got sort of was like, oh, I, here's what's happening. I'm in, I'm in presence. Yeah, you're in the so moment. When, so when you, so when you, so meditation or yoga basically train you how to stay present. Right. And what my revelation was when I was writing the book is how do you know that you're present? You can feel the tickle of existence, right? Right. The thing that makes you like your happiness at being alive. Right. And if you're solely and, and like narrowly focused on what you're doing, right? Whether it's eating something great, reading a book. Uh, my wife gardens, we built a dome during quarantine last year. Uh, and it's like, if you can narrow your focus uh, onto the present, get the past and the future out of it and have it exclusively on the thing that you're doing, you will feel the tickle of existence because you're in flow. What is flow? Flow is love coming through you, right? From right. Uh, universal consciousness. So, and you can feel it when you're focused on your life as opposed to distracting yourself with all sorts of other stuff in your mind. But that's very, that's very hard to do. But, but we were kind of forced into it a little bit with, with the pandemic. You, you're kind of forced to have a greater appreciation when you hear the birds singing, whereas before you tune them out because you had so much going on around you in your head. And like Duff said, you're so far ahead of yourself thinking about what you should be doing, which it's just, it's madness. Right. I mean, I know right. during quarantine, I very much turned like, would look out the window and say, oh, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go do my work outside and enjoy my backyard, which otherwise I was always like sitting on the desk, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly I was like, oh my God, I love being out here. Right. And I think it's because I talk about this in the book specifically. I think it's because we live in the West, we live on linear time, right? There's a past and a future. So here's the thing. Time doesn't exist. It's all in our minds, right? There's only now. The future is a guess. The past is gone. So as soon as our calendars vaporized, time went cyclical. So suddenly all that mattered to you was what time of day it was, not what day it was, right? So you ended up being able to sort of reside in your moment more. And what I think, I think, uh, you know, setting aside the, the real death and stuff, the, the gift that COVID gave all of us is the ability to stop for one second, right? Since when, is, when has the whole world ever stopped, right? And I was talking to my wife, I was saying, why do we do the stupid things we do? Any of us, we all, have, we all have our own list of things that are stupid that we do. Well, one of the reasons is that it, that's the way you've been doing them, right? right? And you haven't, had a, 
You don't have time to catch a breath, to stop, to think, to whatever. So um, when we all stopped for five seconds or however long it was, right? The likelihood that you would restart your life out of quarantine and include all the stupid things that you were doing before is really low. So I think I would, I would venture that every single person who, who spent time in quarantine dropped something that they used to do that they didn't want to be doing anymore. And it's because they got, they hit the reset button. It's like taking a nap in your own right. life. Right. That's, that's very true. I mean, when you think about it and, and you're seeing it now with a lot of people when they're coming out of quarantine, how life is restarting, you're appreciating going out. You're appreciating seeing people. You're so relieved that you can go to the grocery store without panic. And it, it, it does, you're, you're, it's very easy. It's like everyone took a nap or took a deep breath. Yeah, and I said, I have this line in the book too, where I was like, you know, it was only when quarantine took away from me when I couldn't do whatever I wanted to do that I realized that I really could do whatever I wanted to do. Right, we focused on the wrong side of this. Everybody is is caught up. I know, you know. Look, if you're in a life situation where things are tough, that's different. But for someone like me, I'm fine. I'm feeding myself. Everything's okay. Right. This is not a time where I feel like I am in constraints. Right. It is a time of figuring out a new way to improvise within constraints. It's like that. All great musicians. You see them on stage, the beautiful improvisation. You don't want like an open-ended sort of noodly jam band, not going anywhere thing, right? right? You want them to see what they can do inside the box. You can you do your improv, improvisation there. And so last year for me was like a, a rolling series of discovering new stuff I was into because I wasn't going anywhere. And, uh, you know, Speaking of our, our respective podcasts, our mutual friend Chuck LaBella called me, I don't know, sometime in June or something. And he's like, you want to do a podcast? And I said, hell yes. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what it's even about yet. And he goes, just figure it out. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to do a podcast about what is happening to me. Right. right? It's, because- very, it's, it's very personal. Right. Because, well, think about it. It's the same thing that you're doing. You're talking about when you're on the air about what is interesting to you at this very moment in time. That is the thing that you that is that you can be most certain about. A, that you exist and B, what's happening to you right now. Yeah. what What happens to me and Sabrina right now is significantly more shallow than what you're, what's happening to you. I don't know. I don't know. You're focusing on the stuff that amuses you, right? Yes. We spend a lot of time in the West in particular, and I did, I made a career worth of it. Why do we talk about stuff that we don't think is right? Why do we give so much focus to, and you know what, this is like new me talking to me from last year saying, what is your problem? Why do you write books about groups of people that you're not interested in? Why do we all yell and scream so much? What you give your focus to expands, right? right. Oprah will tell you that. Totally. Deepak will tell you that. So why not focus exclusively on what you love? 
And to me, that was a revelation. It's like, who do I need permission from to do that? Absolutely no one. Right? And, and the podcast is fascinating because it really is a journey, but it's also, and I hate this term, self-help. It's totally self-help. It's how to let go of, uh, you know, we talk about the traps of time, right? right. As soon as you're thinking about a future, uh, any possible future, you're not present anymore. So you're not, your awareness is, is compromised. Right. Sure it is. We sure talked about getting rid of numbers, too much numbers. Why do we quantify everything? Why we, what's the point of it? There's nothing quantifiable about the only thing that matters about uh, life, right? Love, beauty, truth. You can't quantify any of those. You know, it, it's, I love can, like what you're doing, but I also find, and you brought it up earlier, how do people who are in a much uh, more difficult life situation than all of us on this, this podcast try and apply some of these things? Because some people, especially during COVID, their lives were destroyed. Their businesses were destroyed. They could barely, you know, make the rent if they even could. How do, how does someone like that stay in the present, I mean, and all of, I agree with everything that you're saying, so I'm not criticizing, but we're talking about very sort of elite We are, We are comfortable, right? We have comfortable yeah. lives, absolutely. So here's my answer to that. So um, of course, someone who's looking for uh, money to put food on the table uh, do, doesn't quite have the bandwidth to focus on the things that bring them joy. Right. So they need to do what they need to do. But as far as, let, let me sort of reposition the question. How are we to think about these other people, right? right? So you can only do one thing in your entire life ever. And that is to decide, what am I going to do right now, right? Because you can't act in the future. You can't act in the past. You only have one thing you ever have to decide. Okay, what now? You make a choice. Right. So if there is something about these people or predicament of others that that you feel you need to do something about, do it. Right. Whether that's philanthropy, community, whatever it is, if there's something that you want to do, do it. But short of that, the only thing you can do is you. You cannot do other people. Right. right. So that was my revelation where I'm like, I'm going to tell all the MBAs how they're supposed to think. Right. And looking mm -hmm. back at it, it's like, I don't even know what they're thinking. So the only thing that you're in charge of is you. And you need to make a decision in the moment of what the right thing for you to do is. So back to your question, how can other people who are finding it tougher to um, We're not as fortunate as all of not us. Not as fortunate? Well, look, what, here's what I'm doing. I make a podcast called How to Tilky Yourself, where I'm kind of talking my way through how I figured that out. Right. Right. The so podcast that's the is fantastic. Right. So it's the only thing I can tell you. Here's what I know. I stopped telling other people what to do. I stopped telling other people what to think. And I decided I'm going to start talking about what I think and what I'm doing, and what makes me feel good about it. They talk about leading by example. I didn't quite know what that meant. That's, this is what it is. 
do you properly do your best you make the best decisions and there and in 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 the act of doing so you are doing all you can do to help other people do themselves so it's not an abdication of social responsibility it's it's me sort of realizing oh i can't do someone else i just need to show how this is bringing me joy and if someone sees it and they can see that then maybe they get an idea from it but right? you know what it this is your way of giving back exactly right. it's your way whatever capacity that is you do what you can do right and it's like here's how i found myself in presence and it wasn't by some brute active intellect or will where i was like i'm going to be the perfect yogi watch me do this suddenly in quarantine with harry potter with no distractions with i was like holy shit i am inhabiting my own existence properly for maybe the first time ever right i've stopped pointing the finger i've stopped telling other people what to think i've suddenly realized that what i need to do is focus on what i'm doing and then suddenly it flows and you can say to other people this is how i did this how did your how did it it must have taken your family a little bit by surprise to have this you know sort <laughs> I, of honestly, lightweight I, they would have a lightning wait, bolt wait, kind of on. epiphany I mean, I it think, really was a lightning bolt. Listen, I think that his wife knew all along. And, you know, with spouses, you got to give them a little bit. You can't beat them over you the head. You are so right. I'm just saying. I, went up, I ran upstairs one day. She was still asleep last year in June or July. I'd been watching David Lynch on the Internet talking about uh, the ocean of consciousness. Right. Because right. he talks about how transcendental meditation can get you in there. And I was like, he said a couple things where I was like, oh my God. And I ran up, I was like, oh my, wake up, wake up. I've got to tell you what's, I figured out what's going on here. She must've been I thrilled promised, to be jolted out of a deep sleep. Yeah, but you know what? She, <laughs> it was like, she'd been waiting. Ah, I'm me. telling you. Mm. Right. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, I've been mansplaining shit to you for years here. And you have simply been waiting for me to arrive in now. And oh, here your biggest, I am. Your biggest cheerleader was right oh there all God. along. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, so I got my daughter and I have my, she's my second wife. And I was like, I've been spending a lot of time. I loved them and I knew they loved me, but not focused, not focused on that love. Meanwhile, talking about all sorts of other stuff that needed my attention. Right. And then with the Harry Potter thing in particular, it was like, oh, I realized that my job with my daughter was to engage with my daughter. And the crazy thing is Harry Potter is all about casting spells of love. So I got suddenly I was like, wow, wait, what? You're using Harry Potter to cast a spell on love uh, of love on me. And the two of them, my daughter's 12. I'm looking at her. I'm like, wait, are you in on this joke too? You've been <laughs> waiting for me to get here as well. <laughs> And uh, turns out pretty much yes. Yes. So she's, we have a, we have a segment with her on how to tilt yourself called Hey Marguerite. We bring her in and ask her a couple questions. Like, and in one of them, I said to her, I was like, you're pretty chill. You're more chill than me. How do you stay chill? And she said, well, you know, a couple months ago, I realized that there are two voices in my head. One of them telling me that everything was okay. 
and one of them telling me that everything was not okay. And I just told the second one to be quiet. I love her. I love, I love I like, her. I didn't teach her that. Right. Well, so, she does have your DNA. So, but I think it's, I don't believe in time. So I think it's, it's, you know, time travel works both ways, right? You talk to your younger self, you, it's younger you talking to older you and that's harder to imagine, but you can imagine older you talking to younger you. But if that's happening, then younger you is talking to older you. Right. Well, she's right? younger you. Yeah, she's younger than me. Yes, she so is. So suddenly it's like the circuit hit. And it's like, oh my God, here we go. And it made, um, you know, the other thing that I figured out last year, I make kombucha at home. Okay. So, um, <laughs> That's a different make, cocktail. That's like a different cocktail. Do you, ha- do you put alcohol in it? Because then we would be interested. Well, if you leave it brewing, it'll go alcoholic. So everybody's always like, "It's this isn't alcoholic. I'm like, I don't think so. Uh, you got to count. I don't think it. so. At the right moment. It'd be a great mix, right? Yeah. Um, but is that what inspired the, the mohawk? Was that a that overdone? The mo- okay, the mohawk was... Uh, I'm 50, right? I'm my hairline is not making me happy. You are so rocking it. So I told her, I told my wife, I was like, you want to shave my head? And she said, right now, I said, what? It's quarantine. What better time? (laughs) And uh, the main reason was because I'm losing my hair back here. And I was like, a mohawk will will distract people from this (laughs) thing here. (laughs) And suddenly I liked a mohawk better than my... Uh, previous hair and it's just like doing what feels right at that moment so it's never been easier right because i'm not thinking about the future a mohawk might embarrass a teenage girl like next year when your daughter's 13 she might Uh, be like she's already uh been like you can't come to a school (laughs) right i was gonna say you can't drop her off at school yeah, so she's, it's already hitting her, but I think she's got this look in her eye when she says it. Like, she'd be momentarily embarrassed, but I think she thinks it's cool. I don't yeah. know. She, um... Uh, it's cool if someone else's parent does it. Just letting you know that. And so, yeah, I haven't been to her school yet. I think she's very happy that we've been in lockdown, but I haven't been able to roll in there. But I'll tell you something else that happened. is like, my older brother told me this, too. He said that during quarantine, he got to know his wife and his daughter better. Really? And I said, same with me. I suddenly understood my daughter a little better, my wife for sure. And it's like, because we're not distracting ourselves and going God knows where all the time, right? Always on the move and spending time just hanging out. My daughter and I created a... Uh, she came out of her bedroom one day and she's like, look what I just found. It was a a finger puppet of a squirrel. And I was like, what do you mean you just found it? What, in your own bedroom? How'd you find? And she's like, I don't know why it was there. So we created an Instagram account for him. His name's Rockledge Ralph. And we take him (laughs) on adventures, right? So just such silly stuff that we built him a raft, sent him whitewater rafting. And... um, and Did he survive? The, he survived. Uh, Good and job. It's just Good like job. Focusing on what you're doing. And it seems like, to me, I'm somewhat embarrassed. Not really, right? Because no regrets. But it's like, I don't know what took me so long 
to realize that what you need to focus on is what you're doing right now, not what other people may or may not be doing or thinking. We spend way too much time doing that. Right. Instead well, you, of you clearly on what's making us happy. You clearly a, are tickled. Yes, I am. Totally. I I am afraid to ask what are you, what what's next? Because I got to tell you also how to tickle yourself does sound a little bit like something you'd find on Pornhub. Right, exactly. And that's why Harper Collins said, let's do Tickled. (laughs) So one thing that I want to get off the ground, and I think it will work, is uh, a, so I think the media is all, it's, it's, it's not doing us right, right? It's either talking about the past, talking about the future. It's not talking about amazing things that are happening right now. Right. Like if you open the New York Times, you're going to get a very small percentage of stories in there on any particular day that are amazing things that are happening right now. And I think that we could create I want to create a I don't know what the format is, whether it's a, um, a web magazine. You know, I think Greg Carter's airmail. He's doing a beautiful job with that. It's like uh, a web magazine or a newsletter or something that is basically single-mindedly focused on stories of interesting people doing amazing stuff right now. My friend's daughter has started a newsletter called B-Roll News, and it's all about happy things. Right. We need and happy. Yeah, you, should, but you, should happy. Check, you should check it out. Lily Gurry is her name. This was doing that. What John Krasinski started something early quarantine yeah. saying, why don't we have... Why are we always obsessing about the bad news? And I think that if we did a, uh, I think we could get a, you know, imagine if this media, you know how in the day of magazines, they used to say, how's the magazine doing that? When you saw it in your mailbox, whether you were excited about it or not, excited to see what was in it. New York Magazine for years, Adam Moth did that, right? It's like, what's in it this week? Um, And this week also did it too. Yeah, and various magazines do it, do it. They have their hot streaks for you. And then it arrives and one day you're just not interested anymore. Right. And I think some a publication that's all about uh, awesome stuff that's happening currently and that is tickling people, like to help focusing in on other people's tickles, how can it help but be inspiring? Because it'll the tickles are contagious, right? Tickles are like giggles. You can pass it on. And... If you get centered in your own existence to the point where you can feel the tickle and then can express that to here, here's a perfect interview that I would do. You know, the singer Valerie June, have you heard of her? No. She's got a new album out called the moon in the stars prescriptions for dreamers. Okay. We'll have to check that out. Beautiful. Valerie June. Okay. Valerie June. All right. And um, she's got another song called dancing on the astral plane. It's just beautiful. Her, she has, she's tapped into something, right? She's like got the circuit perfectly working. I would love to talk to her about how that happens. I want to talk to the people that I find fascinating and say, how do you maintain that connection to the tickle of your own existence and talk to people about the, the tricks they do to stay in that flow? I think it's a winner. So either that or some other book about, um, you know, what I realized last year too with, with, with Tickled is 
it's so much easier to write about what's happening to you at that moment because it's your truth. Right. 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 And um, everyone who's read it is like, oh, my God, it's so genuine. It's like, my God, I've been writing about things other than my own genuine truth for my whole life. And it's way easier. You have way more interesting things to say. And um, uh, people can feel the truth in it because you're not trying to get inside someone else's mind. You're just trying to get inside your own. Um, so I'll do something else memoir, like, I don't know, whatever I'm doing at that moment. I, I mean, I want to hear about too, the adventures that you and your daughter have, because just talking to you now, when you talk about your wife, you talk about your daughter, it's like, it just, the joy and the light just rises. It does. I, it totally I, lights you up. I spent my whole life shit talking to other people. And <laughs> I thought I was actually doing, I thought I had a job to do. Hey, right? shit talking about other was... people bought me my house. So right, easy so, there, yeah, Tiger. Right, so, so you, you know where it's coming from. It's like, I know, I thought that that I was a, like a moral policeman or something, right? Self-appointed. By the way, you are destroying my existence. <laughs> well, you can moral policeman, fashion police. Right? There's lots of room. <laughs> Right. It's like, oh, dear you know, God, my life is nothing. <laughs> so like I suddenly realized that I should uh, I could single mindedly focus on things that make me happy. Like you were saying, Sabrina, it was like a discovery where I'm like, who did I need permission from to do this? No one. I just needed to release myself from the obligation to spend time thinking about <laughs> stuff that didn't make me happy. Like somehow. I thought that it was part of the job of being human that you had right. to grapple with. Right. Uh, well, it's like, no, you are most valuable to other people if you are joyous. And how do you do that? By focusing on things that make you happy. And um, it's not saying you can't be helpful to other people, right? You can, if that, that can make you happy, right? So you can do that too. But, in, but the sort of whining, complaining guy that I went back to you asked earlier if my family was had to make an adjustment they are thrilled right <laughs> they are they are like said sayonara to Duff the critic uh I was good at it I was funny like you right and that sort of made a sport out of um being funny in in criticism right and uh I was even I was mean like mean mean uh, when I thought the target deserved it. And um, then it's like, you know what? I should just uh, spend my time thinking about things like Bob Dylan, who makes me, like just thinking about him makes me happy. Thinking about my kombucha, think about Harry Potter. Uh, it's like all these things get me all jacked up and I'm like, I could do an entire podcast about kombucha. And <laughs> uh, yes, I can. And it turns out if you're focused on the thing that's bringing you happiness, uh, your creativity skyrockets, skyrockets. Well, wow. it, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Everyone needs to check out the podcast, How to Tickle Yourself. And I'm now going to go realize that my life has added up to nothing. No, I thank Duff for the reminder. <laughs> it's a reminder. Totally. Oh, my 
my God. Okay. Dub, thank you you're so much. You're doing it. Here's the thing, Melissa. You're doing it right now. Right now. Right? You're yeah. doing it right now. So you already know how to do it. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I think I have a thank lot of- Thank you for having me, A lady. little soul searching, Dub. Thank you so much. <laughs>